0: Hello and welcome to the Chronic Living Podcast, your need-to-know source for living with a chronic illness or disability. I'm your host Alex Pappas and I'll be sharing my experiences living with a chronic illness as well as inviting others on to share their stories. So join me in shining a light on the world that is chronic living. All right guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of Chronic Living. Today I'm joined by Amy and she's going to share her experiences being part of the chronic community. Thank you for joining me.
1: Good morning, Alex. Thank you for having me and uh, hello to all your listeners. My name's Amy Hutton and I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And for those of you listening who are a little unsure of where Calgary, Alberta is, if you look at the map of the United States, Montana, the state, Alberta, the province is just above that. Okay. So that's where I am.
0: Nice. Nice. Okay, so gonna, that's right. You're you're in Canada, so I'm going to ask questions about the healthcare system as we as we dive into what you have. I'm always curious because I've talked to someone from um, New Zealand, and uh-huh. compared to the U.S., I'm like that sounds great. Yeah. So. <clears throat> All right. So, how old are you, and what have you been diagnosed with or, sure. or deal with?
1: Uh, yeah, I am. I'll be turning 45 in October. Okay. And the health conditions, chronic health conditions I've been diagnosed with is polycystic ovarian syndrome and then in the mental health area, both anxiety and PTSD. Okay.
0: And can you give us like a rough rundown of each
1: of those? Yeah. Polycystic ovarian syndrome affects one in 10 women in Canada and probably the United States. And it's a her- hormone imbalance syndrome. And some of the side effects and symptoms is external hair growth on a woman where normally that where it happens for a man. So for example, I get um, hair growth on my upper lip and my chin. And the other parts of that too is I also experience hair loss. So I don't like having showers because even though I have lots of hair and thick hair, my hair always will fall out in when I'm in the shower. Um, okay. That's yeah. Not so fun. that's not fun at all. And another one of the, um, to help describe what it is, it sits on a woman's ovary. And when they, they can grow and grow or they can stay little. And when they burst or they pop, it's kind of like imagining a, hot butter knife being stabbed into your lower stomach twisted and then yanked out like it's an intense stabbing pain that i remember one time i was out at an event and is even before the diagnosis and i had this sharp pain come over me and i like threw myself over a table and this other woman looked at me and i'm like just stay there for a second just stand by and i had to breathe for like 10 or 10 seconds or so and then i was able to stand up
0: and is it something like does that pain kind of linger after it happens or is it just like a sharp hit of it 10 minutes you're good to go kind of thing?
1: um a bit of both a bit of before, both before yeah like before i had my diagnosis and before i got some treatment uh with an iud put in um i it would be low grade low to medium grade pain constant all day and then these flare-ups as i call them
0: okay and how long have you been kind of dealing with that
1: i've been dealing with this for um,
0: R- roughly so to be exact
1: yeah about it's it's been a newer diagnosis so i want to say maybe maybe since 2012 2013 somewhere in there so still,
0: I mean, still decent, decent, time yeah,
1: yeah. And I like the story with that is you know, even further back, like 2004 ish, um, I was just having low left lower quadrant of my stomach pain, like crazy, crazy pain. And I thought I was just constipated because that's in the area of the body that's yep, normally that, where that, that happens. That makes sense, yeah. So I'm like, oh, I'm just constipated. So I'll, you know, oranges and, you know, fiber and it'll pass through. Well, it wasn't. So I'm lying in the fetal position on a couch one night or one morning and I'm like, I can't go to work. So I phoned my doctor's office and they said, "Um, we're already backed up. It's 9am in the morning. We're already backed up. Go to the hospital, please. After me explaining what was going on. So I took my, well, my friend took me to the hospital and lied there for a day. (laughs) And um they did a CT scan and an x-ray. And by this point, I was on morphine because I was that much in pain. And uh the doctor came, the emergency doctor came, and then they brought down an OBGYN. And I remember looking at my friend and I'm like, I'm not pregnant. There's no possible way I can be pregnant by that, like no. And uh, the OBGYN doctor came in and he's like, you have a mass on your ovary. It's 13 centimeters in diameter. So that's about uh, the size of a large grapefruit sitting on your ovary and it's killing it. So we have to do emergency surgery to remove it. I was like, okay. And then the doctor also said to me, he's like, here are your four options. We will put you under, scope you, See what's going on. You know, maybe give you some medication and send you home. Number two, we'll scope you, um, use a, a laser to, you know, cut out whatever needs to come out or remove that mass or whatever. You know, put you back together, keep in the hospital overnight, send you home. Number three, cut, uh, scope you, cut you open, remove whatever we have to remove. So you back up, you're in the hospital for a few days, and then you go home. Or number four, and this is what got me really worried, was number four, we scope you, we cut you open, see what's going on. And when you wake up, you're at the Tom Baker Cancer Clinic. I was in my 30s. Oh boy. It happened. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the, big, the big C word.
1: Yeah, I was like, what? Oh my God. Okay, so, um. But there was no room in the recovery room, so I had to sleep. They're like, Amy, you have to go to bed. I'm like, I haven't been able to sleep in how many couple of days now, so that's not happening. They're like, no, we'll give you some drugs. You're going to go to sleep. Like, you're gonna have I haven't nap.
0: been able to, and you just said cancer. How do you expect this to work? Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I was like, really? Okay. Like The pain wasn't
0: bad enough. Now now my mind's going to keep me awake. Like, I'm...
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, but they, re- they put me up in the OBGYN floor. And they did give me some really good sleeping drugs, and I actually had the best sleep in my life that I can remember. And uh, I woke up. Uh, well, the the lights came back on in the room that I was in, and the nurse came in and said, "Amy, it's six a.m. You need to go pee. You're gonna go for uh, your surgery." And I'm like, "I don't need to pee because I haven't had to, I haven't had to do that either in a couple of days." Um, but okay, I'll try. And Nothing happened. So I went to surgery and I came back. And uh, one of my side effects is that I, when I come out of of anesthetic is that I cry. And- One um, One of
0: the loopy ones. Yeah. I know there's a couple of different types because um, yeah. I go for colonoscopies every once in a while. The newer one that they've been using that you actually need an anesthesiologist for, mm-hmm. you just wake right up. Like there's none of the, none of the getting loopy or emotional. It's just, they, they put a drug in to counter the anesthetic. Yeah. The ones yeah. that they use that nurses can do has that kind of time frame on it. So when you wake up, yeah, you're, you're loopy and. Yeah. emotional and everything
1: yeah like I remember the first time I woke up in recovery and I'm like I'm gonna puke so they shot me with more gravel or more whatever they did and I went back to sleep the second time I woke up um I was start I started to cry and there was nurses nearby and um they were talking about me in my chart and they said NPO which means nothing by mouth and I groggily said, what do you mean? I can't have anything to eat. And uh, the nurse looked at me and they're like, oh, you speak our language. I'm like, a little bit, yes. Because I volunteer with St. John Ambulance at that point. So I know some of the medical terms. Uh, okay, well, yeah, you can't have anything by mouth just in case. No, by the just, way. You
0: cut out there for a second.
1: Um, yeah. I was wondering if that might happen. Um, it's uh, so I can't have anything in my mouth. Where am I? Oh, you're at the Peter Lougheed Hospital. So I'm not the Tom Baker Cancer Clinic. No. Okay, good. And I started to cry.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's you can get true. the answer that you want.
1: Yeah. And the nurse like patted my leg. She's like, it's okay. I'm like, I know it's okay. I just cried coming out of anesthesia.
0: <clears throat> I know it's okay. I don't have cancer. I'm still here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm good. And then I look up and across the room and I wear glasses and I didn't have my glasses on. And I'm like, I think that's my doctor over there. And he turns and he comes towards me and I start crying again. And uh, he's like, it's okay. I'm like, by this time, I'm angry. I'm like, I know. I cried coming out of anesthetic. What did you do? He's like, well, you had this 13 centimeter, like, big... Cyst. We think it's benign. On your ovary, twisting it around your fallopian tube. They both were removed because they were both dead. Plus your ovary, plus the 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 cyst. Okay. So they sewed me back up. And I was in the hospital for a few days, and then I went home and recovered. And you know, two and a half months later, I was back to work. Um, and then nothing for years, until roughly 2012. Um, I started getting pain again in my lower left quadrant. And I was really confused because I'm like, there's nothing there. They took it out. So what's going on? So I went to my doctor and in the, in between time, um, my doctor died. So I got the new doctor. And I, when I first met him, I said, you know, you're not going to see me much. I have asthma, but you know, it's pretty under control and it's just cold induced mostly, uh, when it gets super cold here and, um, I'll be fine. He's like, okay, no problem. So when this stomach pain started again, though, I, I went back to him and it was telling him what it was going on and explaining, I'm like, lower left quadrant, like this is what it is. This is what it feels like. I think something's going on. And I know there are really, really good doctors out there. Like I have a great one now. Um, But at that point, back in 2012, this doctor looked at me and in the span of the 10 minutes that he gets to see me, he's like, do you think you could be pregnant? He asked me three times in the span of 10 minutes.
0: After you told him everything.
1: After I told him some stuff. And I'm like, have you read my chart? I didn't say this out loud, but I'm thinking in my head, like, whiskey tango foxtrot have you read my file like do you know what's going on in my body previously and um he didn't acknowledge didn't do anything so i walked out of there and i said to the ladies at the front desk i'm like i'm really sorry but i'm not coming back and they're like well why and i said because the way that doctor just treated me so yeah
0: because he's an idiot
1: (laughs) yeah And uh, it was interesting, too, because yesterday, um, I posted a video on Facebook, a memory, and it was one of those like, telling a story of different people with like the captions underneath and stuff about what they've been through. And uh, it was all women talking about how their pain levels aren't acknowledged or aren't listened to by doctors. And it's true, like my doctor's like, uh, he was like, you're pregnant. No, I'm not. There's no possible way I can be pregnant. And, uh, just the pain was just stupid. And, um, so I got my new doctor. I fired him, found a new one, had to wait a little bit for that, but I got a new one and, uh, went in to see her for like the first meet and greet kind of a thing and explain what was going on, my history and stuff. And on her wall, she had, um, a certificate saying that she specializes in women's health. And I was like, can I hug you? Like I am so excited to meet you. And um, she's like, has anyone talked to you about polycystic ovarian syndrome? I'm like, no, what's that? She's like, it's a hormone imbalance in women. They have more testosterone than they do estrogen in their system. No, no one's talked to me about that okay well we're gonna do some blood work here's the form to go do the the blood work we do have to do a pregnancy test i know it's going to come back negative i was like oh you're on the ball okay away i went you know the next day signed up and did the blood work and and the results came back and sure enough my hormone imbalance was really wonky and uh polycystic ovarian syndrome was the diagnosis and that took two years because I had a dipwit of a doctor previous who had me go for so many different tests. Um, colonoscopy actually was one of them he had me go do it in my 30s. And um, those, are,
0: those are fun. So yeah. Much
1: fun. Yeah. And like, it
0: does all the time.
1: Yeah. And the, the folks at the clinic are like, we don't normally see somebody in like their, their under 35 range between I mean, 30 and 35 is where I was age wise at that point. Oh, oh yeah. I was, yeah. No, it was close to my 40s. Sorry. 2012. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm like, we don't normally see people this young. <laughs> i like, yep. I know. It's like I you're no not idea. old
0: enough to be here. Like, what
1: are yeah. you doing? Thank well,
0: you. That's how yeah. I feel when I go to my, my gastroenterologist, by the way. Yeah. Cause I've yeah. been going to a gastroenterologist since 17.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: once I hit 18, was at the adult gastroenterologist? Mm-hmm. I was around people that are like 60, 70, oh. 80, I'm just like 20, like, hey guys, what's up?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe oh, you, you here
0: with someone? No, no, I'm going in for colonoscopy. What about you?
1: <laughs> yeah, here for myself, thanks. Yeah, and that actually, speaking of that, um, that's actually, that's one of the harder things. Like I wish the medical system, like I love living in Canada, we'll get to that later. Uh, but I wish we <laughs> had a clinic that, yes, it's a women's clinic, but it's not a preg- pregnancy women's clinic. Like it's a women's clinic for women to come to with medical women's issues that aren't pregnancy. Um, because when I've gone back to see my now surgeon um, for some follow-ups and stuff, I'm sitting in a room with women who are pregnant or have a little baby with them. And one of the other things with polycystic ovarian syndrome is it's very unlikely that a woman can get pregnant So imagine a woman who me sitting in this clinic going in for, to see the surgeon and I'm not pregnant. I'm not here for a happy thing. Like I'm not here, but Oh, I'm pregnant. Yay. I'm like, no, I'm having pain again. What the, what the F is going on?
0: Yeah. I could see where that, that kind of sucks. Especially if you're someone that's like in a relationship and wanted a kid. Yeah. I can see where that's, that's pretty messed up.
1: Yeah. So luckily I've always been on the fence with having children. And then my body made a decision for me.
0: I was like, Nope.
1: Not happening. So, um, yeah, fast forward to now, 2021. I, a few years ago now I had an IUD put in and that's normally to help with STDs and getting pregnant and stuff. Well, mine's in me because it helps with stopping my cycle. and getting rid of this. the pain even though every now so. yeah got it and like every now yeah.
0: and hmm? I, I said got it Makes Sorry?
1: Sense. yeah yeah so every now and then i will get some pain but it's not as intense like i used to be prescribed naproxen for pain and it would take the edge off but now i don't hardly ever have to use it so that's kind of my medical history story. And now I just live with it. I go to an esthetician every three weeks to get my face waxed because it looks like I'm growing a mustache or a beard. So when COVID was running crazy, a lot of places that were estheticians, a lot of them were all, I think all of them had to be closed down. So I didn't get to see my esthetician for a number of months. So what I ended up doing was shaving my face.
0: What what about um like because laser hair removal? Out of curiosity. I could do
1: laser, but that yeah, I could do that. Um but that costs money.
0: Okay, so that's not covered under insurance.
1: No, that's not covered under insurance, no. And um look, Canada's supposed to be better you.
0: about insurance. So I, don't, I don't
1: know. <laughs> it is, it is, but not, just, just not, not that everything. not
0: that good. All right.
1: No, not, not that good. Um, okay. The other thing, I, I live with were are keloids. So keloids is overgrown scar tissue. And I had those on my ears. And I'd be worried about doing laser hair removal on my face because what if a keloid appears on my face, then I have even more problems.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense.
1: So that's kind of my, yeah, that's my medical stuff that I live with and um yeah if you want we can dive into the mental health or if you have any questions or
0: I'm trying to think um okay. well okay so there are there a couple of thoughts I had because I talk to mostly females on the podcast because everybody knows how great guys are at sharing their emotions and feelings um <laughs> yeah I've, I've talked to like two guys in total so far and I've talked to like 30 women so far So, so, so I do hear like a lot about when you're talking just general acknowledgement of pain, um, especially when it comes to diagnosis. And I have talked to some people that are on the younger side of things. Um, youngest person I've interviewed so far is 16 and she's been dealing with dysautonomia since 11. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, that, that seems to be a common thing. I mean. I would say with men too, but I've only talked to two guys. So I yeah. <laughs> can't, really, can't really bring in that experience except for, for my personal experience. But yeah. I, think it, I think it applies to a lot of chronic health conditions and diagnoses. I think nobody really acknowledges the pain unless they've physically experienced it. And yeah. the problem is, especially when you're living with something long-term, you start to get used to it. Honestly. I mean, at least personally, like I've gotten used to some of the pain where it's just like, I don't want to deal with it again, but I was also at the point where it's nowhere. It doesn't bother me anywhere near as much as when it first started happening. So it's, it's kind of even harder to get people to understand because you're in this immense amount of pain. And especially when it's, when it's like an invisible condition. Yes. You don't look broken. (laughs)
1: No, exactly. You look
0: perfectly fine. So supposedly you're in this like, Max level of excruciating pain that nobody can understand, but you're still like sitting there. Yep. And it's, 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 I mean, part of it's because we have to, like, we have to deal with it. Um, cause you know, when you're dealing with it for such a long time, especially if you have like a chronic condition where it constantly is acting up,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you can't just shut down every single time the pain comes up, especially if you yeah. have like a career or, you know, social life or job, or if you're taking care of a family, for example, if you're like a stay at home yeah. spouse. Yep. so i think there is a lot of that people just don't believe the level of pain that you're dealing with because it's like well society doesn't accept it so we still have to find a way to function even when we're feeling it
1: yes exactly
0: and, <laughs> yeah, it on the head yeah 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 like we are, yeah we've, we talk about it a lot um and i talked about a little bit with some of the the younger females that i have interviewed especially the 16 year old um having that pain taken seriously at such a young age, trying to get a diagnosis is yeah. also very interesting.
1: Yeah, that could be a challenge.
0: And coming back to, to women, when it is in your, your like your lower intestines, your lower abdomen, and it does always kind of stem back to well, dealing with your cycle and dealing with pregnancy. And it's like, okay, just because it's in that area, there are other possibilities. Yes. I know a couple of people I've talked to had a hard time getting a diagnosis because it kept being like oh no it's just probably your cycle or
1: exactly they're like oh yeah you're just this i'm like no like i i know my body thank you very much like i used to the other thing uh women can watch out for even in a a younger age like the 16 year old age is your cycle i thought i was normal that my cycle was regularly regularly irregular So normally a woman's cycle is like 30 days, you bleed for four days or five days at most. And then, you know, another 30 days goes by. I was bleeding for at least on average a week. So seven days, and it would be heavy and then spotty. And just, I was all over the map and it was never in 30 days. It would come and like, it was just weird.
0: just kind of just just whenever it felt like it
1: yeah yeah so that's the other side another symptom to watch for when you're trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with me is what's your cycle like
0: one well, and, and i mean especially with what you're dealing with it being one in one in ten women deal with it at some degree
1: it's kind yeah. of surprising
0: that it was did take such a while to get diagnosed
1: yeah and it's it's one of those taboo subjects kind of
0: There's, i don't know about canada but talk about it a lot when we talk about mental health, that taboo mental health is one of those taboo subjects. Yes. And yeah, it, the amount of taboo subjects in the healthcare world blows my mind when mm. 50 shades of gray has had three movies. Yeah. Like you can talk about all the kinky stuff you want to do in the bedroom, but you can't talk about mental health or, or even, even things like colitis, colitis is weird. Like, so I was 17 when I got diagnosed, which mm-hmm. when you're 17, you're on the pediatric side of things. So you're around, like when you go to the, I went to my specialist, and I was around a bunch of like 10 year olds, which is weird, yeah. a bunch of kids <laughs> yeah. and, and younger, like yeah. playing with the little toys while they're in the waiting room. And I'm just sitting there like, Oh God, I have <laughs> like, a full blown mustache and starting a beard over here.
1: Yeah.
0: My doctor was also like in her early twenties and fairly attractive, which was made it extra awkward.
1: Oh yes,
0: um and at seventeen, you're incredibly amazing at communicating everything that's going on in your life, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a bunch of a bunch of issues, so yeah, I can understand that I guess the perception of of a lot of these topics is just makes it weirder when you're trying to get things diagnosed, yeah. <clears throat> And a lot more awkward. And then, then you know, the mental health side of it is just, just talking about it just seems to be a horrible thing. Yeah, it's just a whole different issue mm-hmm. when
1: sure.
0: so many people deal with mental health issues in general.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so yeah, I can I can understand that. Yeah, for
1: sure. things that are
0: taboo in the world right now compared to the things that aren't just don't make sense.
1: Oh yeah, true. Oh, like it's it's weird and thinking on the mental health side for a minute. Um, with PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome like when I hadn't gone to see hadn't well that came out weird haven't didn't go to see my esthetician um and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like I'm growing a mustache I'm growing you know starting looking like it's growing a beard and the mental game that plays in my head it's like I'm a girl I identify as female like I'm not male but I'm looking like a boy when I look at myself in the mirror and that plays havoc on my head sometimes
0: so on that regard slightly different but on that regard so last year January I shaved my head okay and decided to start growing out my beard Yep. and the reason I did that was about five or six years ago now I was on a medication where a lot of my hair fell out Ah. So I lost like half of my hair, like density, everything. Wow. Because um, my doctor didn't tell me it was a common side effect. And I was on it for like six months. And the longer you take it, the more it starts to fall out. And this is one of the things where you stop it, it still keeps falling out for a while. Oh. Um, so I understand that. Like <clears throat> the mental side of it, when you see something and are exposed to it every day, because I talked about this in one of, one of the podcasts where I was just talking by myself before I was interviewing people. I decided to shave my head because the first thing I do every day is I take a shower. I take a shower, get out of the shower. And I would usually clean up like my beard because I I used to keep it short. And first thing you see every day is for me, my hair, like I'm missing half of my hair. And that's, that's the first thing you kind of see of every day. A lot of other like chronic illness things you don't, they're there, but they're not brought to your attention immediately. True. So when it's, like your face or your head you look at it every day in the mirror once you you know when you're getting ready for the day or or even brushing your teeth in the morning
1: yeah
0: and I get that because I worked retail and I used to get comments during the holiday season when it was busy about people like oh you should find a less stressful job you're losing your hair
1: Oh, and
0: it I, I get that the mental side of it is just it's 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 messed up yeah because you see it every day so it's you're thinking about it every day.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so I understand that it's it's and you you make some big big life changes because of it. Yeah. Hell I shaved my head and I have a pretty big beard now. Yeah. Which which works for me. Um but I talk about like the health uh, the the hair loss thing because some of those medications are really common with Crohn's and colitis and I try to talk about it a lot because for example like like yourself shaving your head and growing your beard isn't really an option yeah no I mean (laughs) you could but it doesn't really work that well on on females
1: not normally no
0: so yeah so I I I try to talk about it a lot because it's it's you know for for me it was a a common side effect my doctor didn't tell me about but I'm like Jesus you know I'm sure there's a lot of females out there that have taken this and started losing all the hair and they don't have another option yeah so so yeah, no, I understand the, the, the looking at something every day, how much it can bother you. Yeah, yeah. Because you can, I mean, you can, you can, you can have accepted what you're dealing with. And, you know, you deal with your condition on a regular basis, your diagnosis. And especially if it's an invisible, you know, condition, mm-hmm. your bad days are usually when it's acting up, it's flaring up, or, you know, you're feeling it and it's feeling yeah. pretty bad. But When you're having like good days and you're in remission, you're not feeling any pain. Just, just looking at something that reminds you of all that. Yeah. 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 I can, I can totally understand that. And I, and I take it. That's where the the PTSD comes in. Maybe.
1: No, well. A little
0: bit. No, no, maybe
1: a tiny bit, but most of my PTSD and anxiety stem from when I was a young girl. Okay. So So, that's,
0: that's been a lot longer term thing.
1: Oh, a lot longer term. Yes. Okay. Um, should we dive in there?
0: Yeah, yes. Well, I mean, we already, we already cracked open mental health. So,
1: yeah. So, here's a, a story for you and your listeners. When I was um, in grade one, two, and three, uh, I was a normal kid. Like, I was happy. I was, you know, first day jitters of school, like most kids have about, you know, where's my desk? Who's my teacher? You know, where do I put my gym shoes or my indoor shoes? Like, where do I, you know, have my space? And, you know, but the first day jitters go away after, you know, maybe after three days tops, right? In the first couple of days of school. But my problems started when I was in grade three and the teachers noticed I was having problems with my core subjects, the spelling, the grammar, the reading, the math and, and comprehension. And toward the end of grade three, my teachers called my parents in for a meeting and said, Amy's having some struggles. She's not reading and writing and all that kind of jazz at her level of age where she should be. She's lower than that. We want to put her into special education. And that point in the 1980s, when I was a girl, um, there was a whole other class that kids who had learning challenges or maybe live with autism or you know some sort of disability they would go to this special class this other special area and that's where they would do all their schoolwork and their their learning and stuff and my parents said to the teacher and the principal and the guidance counselor "Um, no can we not do that Amy yes has had some struggles and yes you know she another part of my medical history like yeah she was born premature and so on and so forth but she's overcoming them please don't put her into special education how about we just have her redo repeat grade three and then you pull her out of class and help her and we'll help her at home so that's what the school agreed to which I found quite fascinating looking back at it now But that's where the trouble started. That's where the bullying started. So my second time round of doing grade three, all the kids in the class thought I was the new kid in the class, but really I wasn't. I was just redoing that grade. And that's when the name calling started. Like I was called names like ugly, retarded, dumb, a loser and stupid. And I was pulled out of class and I was laughed at when I opened my mouth to speak, I was laughed at when I tried to answer a question or read something like, I don't know if you remember in your elementary school days when, you know, you go down the rows of the students and you're reading like a paragraph of whatever book you're reading as a group. Yep. And I, <laughs> yep, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that well, or I didn't do that well. And I'm, you know, I, I'm better now. Obviously, I have my own coping strategies and techniques and stuff. But like growing up as a young kid, no, I did not like that. So I was laughed at. And, you know, I thought it wouldn't get any worse until it did, twice. Um, in grade five, I was out on the recess, like the playground, and a group of girls came up to me and said, hey, Amy, do you like this boy over here? You know, do you think he's cute? And I didn't know what to say, because I'm like, "What? what's going on? Do I say yes? Do I say no? Like, I want to be their friend. I want to be, you know, liked by them what do I say? So I actually said yes. And then I remember being dragged over to this boy. And I'm guessing the boys asked this other boy the same question, like, do you like Amy? And um, the next thing I remember is like being thrown on the ground. And all these hands are grabbing at me and no one's coming to help. No teacher is coming over to see what the commotion is going on and um you know it felt like ages but finally a teacher did come over and separated us and what got me there looking back at it now is like no discipline was done no hey me or hey to the boy are you okay like what's going on no discipline was done and i was laughed at still for and called names in grade five and grade six and grade seven and eight but in grade seven so from grade five, I really was looking over my shoulder, walking on eggshells at school because I was afraid of these girls coming up to me again. And in grade seven, I was in a grade seven eight split, and I was in the locker room, the gym for gym time, getting changed. And a girl came up behind me. And now because I repeated grade three, I was a year ahead of everyone, and my body started to develop at an earlier age. And so my my chest was already like starting to do the girl thing and um, and grow. So a girl came up behind me grabbed me by my bra strap and flung me around in circles and then she let go and I went flying into a locker and again when the teacher finally came in all I remember was just the laughing the laughing of these girls and the hollering and a girl she just started to laugh and then the teacher came in and Nope, what happened. you
0: cut out. Oops, you cut out there for a second.
1: Okay, so the teacher came in and looked at me and red in the face, and I can't tell her what happened. And um, she looked at the girls, and again, no discipline was done, no checkup on me, no checking in on how am I doing. It was just you know, get out here and come get dressed, like it's you know, come out here for gym time. And so what gets me here is I was, we'll say 12 at that point, and no child should be that numb to that kind of abuse. Like, call me names left, right and center, but like, you've now attacked me twice in grade five and grade seven. And it was just horrible. And then the other part that got me to, like, I graduated grade eight, somehow got into high school. And my confidence was starting to come back because I was in a new school. I went from a a graduating class of we'll say 40 students to a high school that had 2,500 students in their school. And the bullying stopped and I got involved in the swim team and the band and you know all that sort of stuff. And when I was in grade 12, I was taking a grade 13, a senior level credit biology course. And I noticed I was having problems. So I went to the teacher for help on day like two of the term and he said yeah i'll help you you can come and i'll see you after class so i went to see him after class and i was writing notes and you know doing what he was telling me to do and writing more homework and whatever and he looks at me he's like amy you're left-handed yep you'll never pass my class is what he said to me oh can (laughs) i get a tutor can i get some extra help he's like no you're just not going to pass my class okay so somehow I sat through the class quiet as a mouse did not say a word until the final unit where it was anatomy and physiology of the human body now way back when I was in grade eight I started the process to become a lifeguard and that starts when you're 14 and so I was really excited to do that and the kids in the class were like oh I bet you're in minnows or tadpoles I'm like no I'm in my bronze cross. And when I become a lifeguard, you're gonna to have to listen to me. So I did all that. I became a lifeguard and I was, you know, doing all that first aid and teaching swimming lessons and all that kind of jazz. So in my grade 12 year anatomy and physiology comes up in the biology course. <clears throat> and um, I start answering the questions again and answering, like raising my hand and answering. And the teacher looks at me and in front of everybody this time He's like, where did you come from? And I thought to myself, I'm like, sir, I've been here this entire time. You just haven't seen me. So that's where my anxiety and my PTSD comes from. On top of that, when I was in university, I survived an an abusive relationship where the boyfriend also stalked me. So again, I'm walking on eggshells, looking over my shoulder, not wanting to be alone with him, Um, very afraid and personal space issues up the yin yang and um recently like I always knew I had something going on but again recently in 2015 16 sorry is when the actual full-on diagnosis of yes you do have PTSD and and anxiety I'm like thank you like I knew something was going on so those are my stories of how my mental health was suffering as a girl and now I'm finally in getting seeing a therapist and getting some actual uh counseling I've done lots of personal development work and hired a coach for well business but also she helped me with some life things but she told me she's like you need to go see a therapist this is out of my out of my wheelhouse so I I've been working with a therapist as well
0: that's good yeah yeah and there's I mean, we talk, we talk about it a lot on the podcast. There's a lot of different levels of it and, you know, seeking professionals is always important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you can, you can do it the wrong way. Like I did. Oh, <laughs> and, and not talk to a professional and just kind of make it through it and look back and be like, wow, that was, that was bad. <laughs> um <laughs> no no because I, I i mean i joke about it but it i got to a really 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 bad place um which is why i talk about it because there's a lot of people that are at that point you know every day um and i i try to emphasize if you're dealing with a chronic illness or disability or mental health stuff going on um before even even i mean getting to that point if you can find something that lets you escape yeah. and find something that you can do is like i myself i do a lot of photography i do a lot of nature photography I've been doing some automotive photography
1: nice.
0: um and i don't do it for like i don't charge people to do it i just do it for fun like yeah. it's it's a hobby um and i've only been doing it a couple of years now i kind of just stumbled upon it but it's super relaxing and sure. i mean on top of that i you know i game which Everyone's like, oh, gaming is what a waste of time. Don't don't ever let people tell you if it's something that's for your mental health that lets you relax and kind of separate yourself from everything that you're dealing with just so you can get like, I guess, clear your mind and kind of ground yourself. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Don't ever let people tell you it's a waste of time. It could be watching your favorite TV show, your favorite movie, gaming, listening to music, you know, photography, hiking writing, reading, whatever it is that you can do that lets you focus 100% on that while you're doing it and you're able to kind of just clear your mind and ground yourself is super important.
1: Yeah, I like to, um, and thank you for bringing that up. I like to color and I have different coloring books and lots of different pens and markers and pencil crayons. And uh, like I've been coloring before it became a thing. Like the adult coloring books and all that kind of jazz. Yeah, no, I've been coloring before that. Yeah, Man. like
0: it's, yeah. it's so important. And I talk about it so much with mental health because I think a lot of us could prevent ourselves from getting to that really dark point where we need a therapist, where we need to find somebody to talk to if we were to prioritize mental health and yeah. recharging. Because the way I look at it, you know, all the things we deal with, with chronic illnesses and disabilities and mental health, is there's hundreds of things that stack on top of each other that yep. we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis or on a week-to-week basis because we have X, Y, and Z conditions. Right. And as they flare up, as the conditions get worse, or if they're first getting diagnosed and you're trying to figure out what it is, that, that pile gets bigger and bigger. Yes. And every little thing on there adds stress. Now, the problem is we get hit with so many of these things at the same time that we don't know how to process them all. And when we're constantly focused on it, we're like freaking out about this and that and this, especially when your doctor says, hey, it might be cancer or it might be this like that just freaks you out a ton on top of the other 10 million things you got to worry about. Oh, yeah. And that's before you even have to worry about paying for it. If you live in the U S when it comes to healthcare system or other places in general. (laughs) Um, And the point of finding something that works for you, that just kind of lets you relax and and prioritizing time for it. When you take the time to clear your mind, kind of mentally reset, ground yourself and just, just, I guess, get rid of some of the stress in the moment. Once you're done doing whatever you're doing, you have this clear mind and you can think about it. Okay, here's what I need to prioritize. Here's what I need to stress out about. Here's how I can kind of think about it logically, especially if it's like, you know, a medical expense. Okay, well, I'll set up a payment plan versus this massive number I have to pay all at once. Yeah. Is it fun? No, you're still you're still dealing with it, but you're dealing with it in a more logical manner where it kind of it seems more achievable. Yeah. It's taking this horrendously large thing that's stressing you out the most and you're breaking it down. Like, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Yep. If it's, you know, if it's a diagnosis that you've potentially talked about with your doctor, okay, well, if this might be what I'm dealing with and I don't go to the doctor to find out about it until next week, let me do some research on it. And let me come up with some questions. Yep. Let me figure out what I need to ask the doctor. Or I need to go into the test kind of curious about you can attack things in so many different ways when you have that clear time but a lot of people around you depending on what you do are going to tell you hey you know you really you you really think you should be doing that now like is is gaming really the best thing right now like shut up (laughs) yeah yeah i want to game like i'm gonna game i'm gonna hang out with my friends i'm gonna you know watch my favorite movie whatever it is because it lets me chill and relax And then when I'm done with it and I'm ready to tackle whatever I'm dealing with, I'm going to come back and be able to handle it that much better.
1: For sure. And it's so important. It is. And the interesting thing too, um, about the, the medical, not medical, mental health condition of PTSD that I live with, um, people are like, but Amy, you were never in war. Like you never went and served for the military. Like you didn't do that. I'm like, you're right. I didn't. However, X, you know, but da ba X, Y, Z, here's all the things that I've lived through. And it. my PTSD too, um, and I think this is common with most people with it, who live with it, is that mine can flare up out of and be triggered out of nowhere. Like it'll just all of a sudden kind of spike. And, um, and one of my traps with my PTSD and my anxiety is that I catastrophize. So, for example, I was working one day um, with an individual living. He lives with um, a, a developmental disability, and he was pretty nonverbal. Like he would have a couple of words, but not much. And we were in one of the malls here in Calgary, and his bus pass fell out of his lanyard that he was wearing around his neck and my my anxiety and everything like kicked in and I was like I don't have any money to pay for like a taxi to get him from point A to point B like how am I going to find his bus pass like oh my god and I I need to ride do I I can't take him in my car how am I going to get him there and like all this stuff um And then there's been other times where I've been at an event and listening to a speaker share her story and her story, um, my situation in university of the abusive boyfriend, her story was my story, except for the one fact that unfortunately she was actually sexually assaulted by her boyfriend and I wasn't. But everything else was word for word. Her story was my story. And I was sitting at this event surrounded by friends and apparently according to them, they're like, Amy, you went white as a sheet and you just, you went numb. Like you you checked out, I'm not sure where you went but you went somewhere. And um, how my friend got me out of it is she, I remember she reached over slowly and grabbed my hand and squeezed it. And she's like, Amy, come back, like, where'd you go? you're here, <laughs> come back to me, please. So that's one way to watch for other people who maybe live with PTSD, but then also how to help them. But also sometimes too, if they're having more of a hyper moment with their PTSD, they might not want to be touched.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you know, everybody deals with it differently based on their experiences and we kind of got them to that point too. Yeah. So yeah that's the other fun factor about mental health and chronic illnesses is they're all super unique so what works for one person might not work for another
1: nope true yeah
0: (laughs) yeah yeah mental health is it's a it's a mess is it is it better in Canada is there more support for it is it just as
1: just Uh, so the therapy the therapist the counselor I see I have to pay I see her, it's a private practice um, because she's not a psychiatrist. I think if I wanted to go down the psychiatrist route, route, um, I don't think I have to pay for that because they're the ones who can actually prescribe medication. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking with my doctor, my general doctor, and I've already told her, I'm like, I don't want to do medication. I don't want yeah. to be, yeah. become addicted or reliant on it. She's like, "Yep, fine, no problem. I agree with you. Great choice. Um, here's some other coping strategies and stuff that you can do." So, but when I started to th- see a therapist, yes, I've had to pay for it. So, does mental health is it better here in Canada? Well,
0: can can people talk about it too? Like,
1: well, yes, no.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> okay. No. okay. So it's it's still it's still a taboo topic up it's there.
1: So, like, yeah, we do have something called. Um, Bell. That's Talk Day, and Bell is a national phone company, kind of like you have Verizon, I think, for example, in the states. Yeah, um, we have a few of them. Bell being one of them, and Bell has teamed up with the Canadian Mental Health Association, and they have Bell That's Talk Day, and it's a lot of celebrities like he's actually canadian but he does the judging on the america's got talent howie Mendel. Mm-hmm. and he talks openly about his mental health and some of some other people celebrity type people here in canada will talk about it and then the day is supposed to be well if you're on the bell network and you're sending a text to somebody five cents from that text message will go to mental health research and there, you know things like that but okay. I've recently learned because I also sit on the national network for Mental Health Alliance here in Canada, and I represent the province of Alberta. And um, I recently learned that actually the money that Bell Let's Talk Day fundraises and makes doesn't not all of it goes to actual support and actual um, helping of people who need it. It goes somewhere else.
0: Well, why would a fundraiser go where it needs to go? Like, why I, why would that make any sense?
1: <clears throat> yeah. so it's <clears throat> interesting and they we don't really have that much in the way of peer support either um recently I spoke at the alternatives conference virtually online which is all about mental health mm-hmm. and um I shared my my bullying story and then some other things uh, about how to help safe create safe spaces in schools for youth and um in that topic in that conference I learned about the peer support, which the United States seems to be doing a bit better of than here in Canada. So
0: whoa, whoa! You're telling me that the U.S. is doing something with healthcare better than than Canada?
1: Uh, in one tiny <laughs> respect, perhaps yes.
0: Oh my God! What? I
1: know. So like, yeah, like I've never really heard of much. Um, I feel like,
0: really bad for you guys in that regard. I,
1: like, I don't think we have oh. that much of peer support. Like, I've never really seen it advertised as like a job
0: and well what do they consider when you say peer support like what do they consider peer support
1: so peer support would be an organization that would have people like me and you who live with mental health actually working for an organization and being like almost like a peer counselor I guess in a way or someone you can talk to who I guess we have the like...
0: suicide hotline. I don't yeah. know if that would count. Okay. So that yeah, because that's that's a big thing here is the yeah. suicide hotline that you can yeah. call 247-365.
1: Yeah, I don't I <laughs> Canada has something, but what that number is, I don't know. Um, for youth, we do have the kids help phone. And that was launched back in the 80s. Like I still remember the phone number to this day. And um, kids can call it up to 18 years of age. But for anybody over that's,
0: the, eight, that's so years, weird.
1: Yeah, over eighteen. I don't know if we have a national phone number.
0: They prioritize it up to eighteen. Then you're just on your own. Like, yep. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, like, I know, like here locally in Calgary, like the city I live, we have the distress center, and that line is open twenty four seven. We also have um, a sexual assault or violence crisis line that people can call again 24 seven um but on a national or even a provincial level i don't know if there's a number for adults to call hmm,
0: that's interesting yeah granted well i haven't talked to a lot of people in a lot of other countries i don't think i think europe does a better job with mental health than we do um i don't know i'm, I'm curious how it's handled in different places around the world I know it it affects at different rates around the world, yeah. Based on culture and you know support. Yeah, but,
1: I know. It, yeah, I know in Canada that it's one in five adults live with mental health.
0: Oh, it's. Oh, I'm sure it's it's a lot higher here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting.
0: Bye population
1: are you doing a search right now
0: oh i am <laughs> um i don't know it's about okay it's about the same 20 20.6 percent i feel like that's i feel like that's not right though i feel like it's 20 20.6 percent of the u.s deals with mental health issues and illness um but I think that's the twenty point six percent of people that actually talk about it. Yeah, I feel like yeah. <clears throat> there's there's that big stigma around it where a lot of people don't talk about it. So I'm really curious what the actual number, and I'm sure Canada probably the same way. Oh, if it's if it's around the same numbers.
1: Yeah, totally. And that's <clears> like kind one of one in good.
0: five people yeah. admit to it.
1: Yeah, one in five, and that kind of like is a good little segue into uh, another statistic that again I, I don't think this is quite accurate um but it's one here in Canada one in three teens have reported being bullied I'm like reported being bullied I bet it's actually half of the school population like one in two kids that are actually being bullied no one in three reported
0: A one in three reported that was taken seriously yeah i mean i mean i remember in school if you dealt with some stuff you could tell the teachers and they just didn't care
1: yeah
0: and you you could tell them you could tell them three or four times and then then you strike back and you're the one that gets in trouble
1: yeah
0: like, yep definitely dealt with that
1: yeah i, I moved
0: around a ton so i was always the new kid so yeah
1: it's yeah
0: been- yeah well and that's i mean that goes back to kind of mental health mental health yep. it's is not taken seriously no it's a problem
1: yeah it
0: is and then i mean down here down here they talk about mental the only time they talk about mental health is when there's a shooting like a mass shooting of any sort yes like oh my god he was mentally unstable and didn't have any friends and was bullied in school and blah 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 and i'm like oh so now you care about mental health only to bring it up as a point to push gun control i'm like but you don't point out the fact that all the things this person was dealing with before they shot a bunch of people, there's yeah. no support systems for, or there's yeah. very few support systems for.
1: Yeah. Very
0: so, true. Cause it's the thing, like we have a suicide hotline, which is yeah. great if you're dealing with suicide, if you're dealing with depression or a lot of other, the other sides of mental health that don't lead to suicide that lead to aggression and anger, um, there's not really like a support system for that no and i mean unfortunately down here that's where we get to the occasional shooting mass shooting of sorts and
1: yeah
0: because you know i mean i mean i know in culture down here if somebody commits suicide there's always like oh you know there's there's always pushes around the the suicide hotline i mean how yeah. we even have like like logic as a rapper he just has an entire song about the the hotline itself
1: yeah i think i heard that Somewhere on the the music shows or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like it's a super popular song specifically around that mental health aspect. Um, And to prevent suicide, like don't get me wrong, it's a super big issue and COVID has been making suicide and and depression worse. Um, But there's not like a system for that, for people that deal with isolation and depression that leads to other things.
1: Yeah, true. So
0: it's like, hey, if you're feeling suicidal, call us. But if you're dealing with anything else, we don't want to talk to you. Yeah.
1: Like, we, don't, we can't help you
0: yeah like don't kill yourself and call us yeah but if you're just having a bad day and angry i don't know what to tell you yeah <laughs> which is messed up
1: yeah totally messed um up. yeah it's interesting i've um been in the process now for a few months of learning how to be an emotional cpr trainer
0: an emotional cpr trainer what Emo- is that
1: yeah emotional cpr is looking after so when you go to a regular standard first aid cpr course for like say the red cross or whoever puts it on
0: yep yep um, i have i have a cpr cert
1: yeah so you're learning about the physical body Mm -hmm. and the heart and how to help but emotional cpr is actually looking after the emotional side of your heart
0: do you still know how to do cpr it's just plus the emotional aspect or do they call it emotional cpr because it's i guess emotionally bringing somebody back
1: They call it emotional CPR because it's all about actually listening to a person come and talk to you about, I'm having a bad day. Okay. So like the
0: person they would send for somebody that's trying to jump off a bridge or a building kind of thing.
1: Well, maybe. Maybe on
0: a bigger scale, I guess. But
1: Not a bigger scale, yeah, but on a a more...
0: Hey, somebody's having a bad day.
1: kind of having a bad day or someone's just like stressing about a test or... Got it. it. Yeah, or they were just, you know, maybe they were, they lost their job or there's health stuff going on in their family. They just need to talk to somebody. Um, emotional CPR is looking after the emotional side of your heart. So it's two completely separate programs. You can go for CPR, standard for state CPR with St. John ambulance or the Red Cross or whoever. And then the emotional CPR courses are taught by people like myself that are actually peers. A lot of the time we're peers. It's people who live with mental health issues ourselves. And the people coming to this chat and talk might not have any mental health conditions, but they just are having a rough day. So it's a process of talking and listening actually more than talking. And getting really down into like, I sense you're feeling sad and I can feel that Sadness in my chest. Is that how? Like, how are you feeling? Because I'm feeling really sad, or I'm feeling really anxious. Is that what I'm picking up? And letting the person just talk, and then come up with their own solutions on how to uh, move forward with whatever the problem is going on. Um, so it's a really, really cool course. I'm. It's actually started in the United States uh, by Dr. Dan Fisher, and um, I think it's the National Empowerment Center, NEC National Empowerment Center sounds right. Um, that started this course, but there's a few of us up here in Canada that are also learning how to be instructors and trainers and stuff like that for it. And um, I feel once I'm I get to be a full trainer that this program needs to be in every school for teachers to be able to talk to their students.
0: There's there's a lot of things that need to be in every school to do it there were a lot of like life skills and functional human being classes that they put in school. I feel like there would be a lot less stress and depression as an adult. Yeah. Cause a lot of people don't like I've talked about it a couple of times. A lot of people don't like to have the conversation around depression when it comes to like fully logical reasons that you can be depressed. Right. Like, oh, I'm sorry. You have a bunch of debt that you don't know how to pay. Cause you can't find a job after getting out of college or, Oh, Your family member died or oh you're stressed out about your health like there's a lot of reasons you can be depressed that are fully like logical reasons yep that make perfect sense like and, and the way it's treated is like you know you're crazy and you're losing your mind and there's no hope for you
1: yeah
0: at least here in the U.S. and it's just like look people are allowed to have bad days and I feel like they'd have less bad days if school prepared us more for this like taxes and credit and loans and
1: yeah all stuff that. that
0: causes stress if you if you screw it up
1: <laughs> yeah yeah like all that stuff and um
0: health insurance cuz i know i have a ton of medical debt that can be stressful
1: yeah it can be like yeah like our medical system here in canada i really really like and really really enjoy um i'm really grateful for it like as i briefly mentioned um earlier we were chatting that I was born premature. I was born at 26 weeks gestation and given 24 hours to live. And with all the tests and all the specialized medical equipment and the length of time that I spent in the neonatal intensive care unit was October 6th is my birthday. I went home just before Christmas, like on December 23rd or 24th is when I went home.
0: Oh, like two and a half months.
1: Two and a half months. So if I were living in the if we were in the United States, I don't think my parents could have like they would have been SOL, like would have had tons yep. of medical expenses and stuff. Um, yep. I also learned a few years ago that there's that the incubator or the isolate that the baby sleeps in or you know survives in that piece of equipment is ten thousand dollars.
0: Yep. Well, I believe it.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, I, I, I'm very grateful to be living in Canada just for that reason alone. Like I'm so grateful my parents didn't have to deal with the medical aspect of it, of the hospital for myself. But then actually also my sister, four years later, she was also born premature. So they had to go through it again with my, my sister who wasn't as small as me. And, um, but still it was a bit of a, a struggle. So um
0: so on the financial cost of it yeah that's my
1: that's my thought on the the medical system of canada like i love living here like i don't have to pay to go see my doctor or i have to pay to see my dentist and other and eye doctors and stuff but to go see a doctor i don't
0: yeah so i i got i got luck of the draw and drew colitis Colitis is one of one of the most expensive conditions in the U.S. for out of pocket expense. Cancer being the most expensive. Colitis and Crohn's, I think they're like third or fourth. Some it's a, they're in the top five most expensive wow. diseases in the U.S. The average out of pocket for both of them because they get lumped together. They're they're within a couple thousand dollars of each other. Ranges between it was like six and thirteen thousand dollars a year, if you already have medical insurance. And so that's oh. about what the average is. That's with coverage, right. with coverage, not without it. <clears throat> so personally, I am on Remicade. It's an infusion. I get it every six weeks. My Remicade costs about $8,000 before my my insurance kicks in. Wow. Every six weeks. Yep. <clears throat> and I'm currently paying off two of them, whether it was some issues in the past or my insurance didn't cover it. Wow. Um. <clears throat> and from my understanding, because I do it at my doctor's office and the area that I'm in is a larger area, it's cheaper. I've seen the Remicade fusions, infusions being upwards of like $20,000 an infusion, depending on where you are in the US. Wow. Because if you're in a more re- remote location, if you do it at a hospital, they charge more to administer it. Wow. Yeah, every year, like I get it, I can go in every time I get an, a claim approved through my insurance company and it shows me like my total. Claims for the year, my out-of-pocket expense. Yep. Um, my total for the year with tests and everything that gets done, and uh, you know, my infusions, colonoscopies, usually yep. ranges between one hundred and twenty-five and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: Yeah, and then my out-of-pocket's like four thousand plus all my copays.
1: Yeah. Now, so. can you can you claim that on your income tax?
0: Um, no, because it's not a it's not enough. Because my insurance covers so much of it, <clears throat> I can't claim the out-of-pocket because I don't have a house. I don't have anything else I can claim. So they give us, I think it's like 12000 to claim by default. Wow. And I fall under that. <clears throat> wow. And
1: so that because
0: matters. my medical debt, like I'm paying off debt and I'm not paying it all at once. Yeah. Um, I can't claim it because it doesn't hit that threshold. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, That's I've spent thing. like... Probably forty to fifty thousand dollars over the past six years on my my illness, like paid for already. Wow! Like that's that's like a new truck. That's like around here, it's like a third of a house. Yeah, like a small like two bedroom townhouse or something. Well, wow. minus the housing market being expensive, you can get like a condo or a small townhouse for like one eighty ish. Yeah, That's so a good it's a good chunk of a house when the market's not overly priced. Yes. So yeah, yeah.
1: yeah that's interesting now I know uh here like there's I don't know if people can claim everything but I know um example my therapist because I can what I pay to see her plus any medications um that I have to pay like when I'm working we have benefits yeah and it covers like 80 percent of my medication I have to pay 20 percent um and same with dental and and eyes the stuff that I have to pay personally, though, I can put on my income tax, and, and get the money back. We we can.
0: Back. Um, it's just as in filing as an individual, you get twelve thousand dollars a year by default.
1: Mm.
0: So you get twelve thousand dollars a year by default as like a deductible. Yep. Um, and if you go over that, then you start to get like more. Okay. Um, my thing is, I just, I just every month I pay like three, 400 bucks towards medical debt. Wow. So the medical debt is just sitting there and I'm paying towards it, but because it doesn't add up to over that amount, like my out of pocket and my um, debt that I'm paying off doesn't add up to more than 12,000 a year, which is already a lot. Like there'd be a lot to be paying. Um, yeah, yeah it doesn't like, I don't really get to claim anymore on it. Well, wow. yeah, it's, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with it because it's a lot of us that have chronic illnesses that have expensive medication, we're kind of like eternally locked in paying it. Yeah. But we're paying just enough where we can't file anything extra for it, but it is still this massive expense that we pay. Yeah. Over time.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. You know, three hundred
0: bucks a month. It's thirty-six hundred dollars a year. Thirty-six hundred dollars a year if you have a disease for twelve years or ten years. That's thirty-six thousand dollars, and yeah. that's if you're just paying something off. Let alone your deductible. That's another. $4,000 a year so it's another 40 so it's what $76,000 potentially in wow 10 years wow cuz most deductible plans if you get a better insurance plan there's about a, a $4,000 out of pocket that you have to pay
1: wow yep that's a lot yep i'm very grateful to live in canada
0: yeah yeah so when <laughs> i hear about other other healthcare systems i'm like oh god why can't we do something like that yeah it's, it's yeah. so much better
1: yeah
0: no no and it's it's just one of those things it's like you know you have to you have to plan differently because of all the medical expenses and and you know i fall in in one of the diseases that that, that's a higher cost to it and i'm not even like that high compared to to other people in the in the disease or that don't have insurance that have to pay out of pocket or the amount of people that don't get treatment in the colitis community or Crohn's community yeah. because they don't have insurance is stupid. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There's people that, they, I mean, their bodies are pretty much killing themselves because they're not getting treatment and the colitis is just doing its thing,
1: mm.
0: but it's because they don't, they don't have insurance because they don't work or they lost their insurance because their you know condition pushed them out of work because it got so bad. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess at times for people and
1: yeah it would be I can see that. wow which,
0: which which goes back to the mental health because it's like you know yeah. there's all this added stress for just pay, you know managing getting treatment and paying for it
1: yeah for sure and like which, compounds like compound trauma compound anxiety like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah 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 you shouldn't I mean, I'm in the mindset of if you're dealing with something that debilitating and that shuts you down as a person when it's when it's acting up, the last thing you should be worried about is should you get treatment because you don't know how to pay for it?
1: Yeah, I know. Like, that's, that's crazy.
0: <laughs> and that's and it's not like super common, but it is common in the US. And from my understanding, with other conditions as well of people just avoiding treatment because they're worried about the the expenses behind it. So they're living a subpar life. Right. That they can't, can barely function in. So, yeah. yeah. And the average time to get put on disability is about a year once you file here in wow. the US. So you could be dealing with something for a year before you even get disability help. Wow. And that's depending on your condition. That's if you last a year. Yeah, true so wow
1: wow well
0: yeah yeah it's a it's a crazy system
1: it's a crazy system
0: and that's yeah. i mean that's that's part of why you know it's a small part of why i do the podcast is as it as the podcast grow and i kind of bring everybody together as a community the goal is um the more voices that are all unified when it comes to changing that system the better we can do true because. True. I mean, and I say that because Crohn's and colitis falls under irritable bowel disease under the CDC. Yes. And as of 2015 there's about 3 million people that have it. Wow, 3 million people out of a 330 million population, is not a very big percent. Huh. Well, about half of the United States deals with a major health condition of some sort. Yeah. So whether it's a, you know, it's an illness that's really affecting them or a chronic health condition or disability or mental health half of the U S is affected. Half of the U S is 165 million. Wow. If you get 20% of the people on board that are affected by it, when you have 165 million people, it's a lot more people than 20% of 3 million people.
1: Cause,
0: yeah. cause I, I say it all the time, regardless of our, our diagnosis, most of us deal with 70 to 80% of the same stuff. Oh. Doctors not listening to us, medications, you know, social life, work-life changes relationship changes and then that 20 to 30 percent is our specific diagnosis you know unique to us yeah so i think i think when it comes to some support as a community we can definitely be a much bigger community than we are because we deal with so much similar stuff on it might not be the exact same experience but we deal with the same general category and and he mental health responses and
1: yeah just and that it. yeah and that goes along with like different experiences but similar experiences across the here in canada but also everywhere in the world yeah. is and i'm pulling us to talk about uh my entrepreneur stuff um
0: that's right so Sorry, we haven't touched it yet
1: <laughs> yeah we haven't <laughs> it was fine i'm enjoying this conversation i'm like well maybe we could we pull it over here for yeah a no
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. I it's so Um, sidetracked. There's so many things to talk about when it comes to this community.
1: Oh, there is. So like thinking about mental health and anxiety and and things like that and the bullying stuff that I mentioned a little bit ago, like one in three teens report bullying here in Canada. It's very similar in the United States to my knowledge. And it's probably- I feel like it's probably
0: a universal thing.
1: Yeah, universal around the world. And also, I've also uh, heard a statistic that- Every seven minutes on every school ground across Canada and probably in the United States too, a child is experiencing bullying. Mm. Every seven
0: minutes. Yeah. I I can see
1: that. Yeah. And that's just like, think how many hours a child is in school for a week and then break that down for every seven minutes. Like that's just a crazy amount of time. And as I was sharing my story with you earlier, like, I was one of those kids, I was one of those kids that was being bullied. And my bullying happened between grades three and grade eight. So I wasn't, I was just a new teenager by grade eight, like I was 13, 14. And what got me thinking about it, too, was I wasn't safe at school. I I shared my story. And there was a few times where I know I wasn't safe. And that got me thinking of Helping girls today and educators and other youth leaders with girls who are 11 to 14 years of age, helping them feel safe in school and beyond. So, I developed um, a couple of different things that I can do. And one of them is a book club. And it, the book club is for young teens, age 11 to 14, girls. And the girls and I will meet starting in August, and we're reading The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And we're gonna come together and read it and discuss it. And also too, this coming together on Zoom is gonna be a safe space and a safe container for girls to share really what's going on with them away from their parents. Because earlier in July and in June, I facilitated some free four hour half-day summer camps, virtually, and in every room, every time we did it, or I hosted it, a girl would say, I feel safe enough here to share X, Y, Z, and my parents don't know, I haven't told my parents about X, Y, Z. So that told me something that girls age 11 to 14 are looking for a space to come to and really talk about their feelings and what's going on in their world away from their parents. So that's why this book club was created. So we're gonna talk about the book obviously, but also do some other things around um, you know being brave, being bold, talking about mental health, some mindfulness things, learning about women in the media and um, the ways to protect yourself, uh, both you know online and in real life, and how to protect your friends and the environment. And if we take a step out, Alex, and look like big picture with this too, this is actually in the long run, saving financial, and it's going to be less, possibly less of a burden on the family, because of the medical expenses, potentially, or therapy, or um, whatever the case may be, like some kids, we want to we want to keep all kids on the sunny side of life, like on the sunny side of the road. And if they're being bullied, if they're being harassed, if they get assaulted, you know, if something goes on in those years of the, the teenage years, you know, they could turn quite easily to alcohol and drugs. And, you know, for the, a girl being promiscuous potentially, and, you know, becoming pregnant, um, thoughts of suicide, of attempting to die by suicide, all these things could lead up and are
0: Nope, you're cutting out.
1: Oh, okay. So, all these factors can weigh heavily on the parents, financially speaking, as you've mentioned about the finances, especially in the United States. Oh, yeah. And, you know, but also emotionally, like thinking like my daughter is, you know, addicted to alcohol or painkillers or, you know, whatever the case may be, or she's having some really depressive really dark thoughts so inch by inch empowerment is my business and the sisterhood of the traveling scarf is the book club that i'm calling and it's going to be more than just a book club like it's a place for these girls to come to and really just talk and i will listen and there's well, and no it's, judgment
0: it's about it's about starting as something small and building from it too yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of like the podcast. Like this is starting as a podcast, and I I hope it grows into something larger and maybe a brand down the road.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but no, I I think I think focusing on youth is super important. Um yeah. and I actually talk about that a little bit from time to time. Um, seven bridges. So it's a little boy in Kentucky, 10 year old, 10 years old. Um, it was shared across the colitis and Crohn's community because he had what did he have he had Crohn's or colitis he had, he had one of the two yeah so a 10 year old boy 26 surgeries that he went through by the age of 10 um and he ended up having a colostomy bag it's a common thing when they take your you know your large intestine your colon out yep. and one day he hung himself in his closet when his mom went to the store because he was getting bullied so much at school at 10 years old yeah 10 years old you had 26 surgeries like that's re- i couldn't even imagine that at my age
1: yeah, that's, that's a lot of surgeries at these 10 years old.
0: Dealing with all that and then yeah. still had to deal with deal with kids at school. So yeah. I, I, I 100% understand that. Like yeah. that's such a big issue.
1: Yeah, and sometimes too, so the other angle, so that's the stuff I'll do with girls. But the other angle, thinking about the educators or girl guide leaders, girl scout leaders, uh, boys and girls club, 4-H, even the sports, like, hockey and soccer and cheerleading and dance teams those spaces outside the home might be their only safe space a young girl can come to yeah because there might be something going on at home and we all know that that could be the case that's that home might not be a safe space for them so school excuse me school or their dance team or their soccer or their girl scout girl guide group is their safe space. So what I have created too is a curriculum for educators or leaders, adult leaders of girls on how to facilitate safe spaces. And there's five pillars and five ways that that can happen. So I have a whole training just for adults as well on how to have a safe space, like looking at being vulnerable, and kindness and you know recognizing that the safe space is here and different things like that so those are the two arms that I have going with my business but it all stems back to when I was that 11 year old girl being called stupid and ugly and dumb and retarded and a loser and thinking I was those things
0: yep 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 and that's a very unfortunate common thing in school
1: Yeah. For sure. And I've had some interesting um, questions been asked to me when I've been talking about this to others, especially other women my age. And they're like, Where were you when I was in grade five? Or where were you when I was, you know, 11 years old? And I was like, Well, here's what I was dealing with when I was 11 years old. And they're like, Wow. So I know what's needed. And when I've done workshops in the past, so I live in Calgary. And three hour drive north is a town called, or city called Edmonton. And I was uh, brought up to Edmonton a few years ago and I facilitated a four hour workshop for girls about all this being kind and friendly and being brave and so on and so forth. And the girls came into the workshop at we'll say 9am and they didn't know anybody. They were from a few different areas of the city. And, but I could tell just from observing them that, yeah, there was probably going to be at least one bully in this group, at least one, because of just the dynamics and the personalities that I saw coming through the door. And by the end of it, though, by the end of the four hours, these girls were making friends. They were exchanging phone numbers. They realized that a small group of them liked to sing and they were going to form a band. And um, so I know what the work I do with the young girls works because I've seen the results. And with the adults, um, to be quite honest, this is a new program I've developed, yet everyone I've talked with said, yes, we need this, this is important work and we should bring it into um, schools and stuff like that. So if anyone wants to learn about either of the activities, either of the, the arms that I have with inch by inch empowerment, um, feel free to reach out to me the email address to get me at is amy a i m e at inch is the best way to get a hold of me or through facebook i have a facebook page called inch by inch empowerment as well and then if you are a parent of a girl age 11 to 14 i also do have a facebook group just for parents of girls that age who are either being bullied right now or want to prevent it
0: that's good good information and i think it's cool that they're i guess up there actually open to doing that in schools um changing thing in school down here is, is is interesting so
1: yeah as i said like i spoke with the vice principal earlier in the year and um because of the summer we've kind of lost contact but she's like yeah i really want to talk to you again about this like in the like coming into the fall and see if we can uh do something and they're really cool thing about everything i do is i can do it virtually because with zoom or or microsoft teams and stuff like that uh i can do it through zoom and i have a little funny saying it's like have zoom will travel because <laughs> i can go anywhere i'm talking yep. to you in you're in virginia yep. and I'm, I'm up here in alberta
0: zoom zoom has been making this really easy Like i'm not gonna yeah. lie Podcasting in person would be much more of a pain and a lot more expensive too.
1: Very so, much so.
0: I'd have to have a laptop, I'd have to have a whole separate microphone, interface. God, it'd be a it'd be a mess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a mess. Yeah. So
0: no, no. That the I think I think that's the one one good takeaway from COVID is we, we're starting to realize how much we can do online now. Yeah. Um, and how, how efficient we can be with with the online, online space and doing things like podcast training support it is making it easier and zoom definitely rolled out the platform for it i'll tell you there Uh, oh
1: they did yeah i've been using zoom for a number of years now but with covid it's like oh yeah i'm already pretty fluent in zoom so i'm good
0: i'm surprisingly new to zoom like i've only been using it for the podcast i didn't use it beforehand so i was figuring it out but it seemed to be the best platform for uh for recording podcasts yeah without without too much like information and, and files and stuff for sure I just I, I do simple simple recording and simple editing so
1: yeah awesome awesome all
0: right anything anything else you want to touch on
1: i just want to encourage your listeners that are listening and thank you for listening is um when i've done my facebook lives is how i like to sign off of those is. Until next time, be brave, be bold, and be yourself.
0: I like that. I like that. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you guys for stopping by and listening to the podcast. I appreciate everyone. Make sure you guys stop and check out chronicliving.info. Got a new website up and running that's going to be the main area to find all the social media content as well as accounts. So make sure you guys stop by if anyone's looking to share their story, volunteer, either time or experience. There's also going to be some links on there of how you guys can get involved. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you in the next one.